Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Well, good morning. Welcome to East Lake. We're so glad that you are here. If you're watching this online on the live stream or on replay, we're glad that you're uh, joining us as well. Uh, today, we're kicking off a brand new series. And uh, if you have been following along with, uh, with East Lake for the last month or so, we just came out of a five-week series uh, on the Bible, which was like uh, one of the series that you like probably expect from a church, right? Uh, a series on the Bible and why you should read it and why it's important and interesting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then we're jumping into something called Welcome to the Pageant Show, which is quite a big, quite a big jump. And uh, I understand that. I, I feel like we're, we're we're leaving something that was like kind of safe, and and then we're kind of experimenting a little bit. It's, it's like if you've ever eaten clean for like a week, and then all of a sudden you really want just a greasy burger. Um, this is a greasy burger of a series guide. It's gonna be great. You're gonna love this thing. It's gonna be short and sweet. Um, and uh, we're gonna be talking uh, about not necessarily pageant shows per se. Although I would love to start this off. Uh, with a little bit of a social experiment. Anybody ever been involved in a pageant show before? You can raise your hand. We don't do this. I don't like to do Q&A usually, but if you've been involved in a pageant show, you can just raise your hand or like give us a little wave, one of your little waves that you do. Uh, yeah, fill in the back, obviously. Uh, that's great. Um, I just want to know, you know, who I'm going to offend quickly <laughs> and who I need to like probably give a phone call to later on and be like, I wasn't talking about you. I just like speaking in general. Uh, for what it's worth, I'm not anti-pageant shows. I just wanted to get it out there early. I know people who have been involved in pageant shows like people to know that they've been involved in pageant shows at some point in their past. And so I wanted to make that less awkward for us in case later on in the lobby afterwards as you're grabbing popcorn, you're like, did you run lights or something? Or what was your involvement in the, uh, in the pageant show? And real embarrassing. Like, Anyways, um, it has nothing to do with, with beauty pageants, but um, it has more to do with the idea, the Shakespearean idea that all of life's a stage. Um, and that uh, to some degree, whether we're aware of it or not, we live our lives in a, a sort of pageant show sort of thing, trying to communicate, uh, get people to like us, vote for us, think of us, uh, think well of us specifically. Um, and so uh, whether we like it or not, um, we, we live in sort of a pageant show setting. So welcome, and, and, and the onset of social media and the accessibility and the connectedness of, of communities around uh, the world um, and um, the fact that we live a significant portion of our life online now with like this online avatar. Here's the music that I listen to. Here's what, the, the bands that I like. Here's the um, clothes that I wear. Here's the places that I go. Here's all the, when I go on vacation, I want to let you know where I go on vacation so that you can see it. I want you to see it tagged. I want you to see how many times I went snorkeling uh, and and was active and all that kind of stuff. So anyways, we, we, we live so much of this in this way that this is, it feels a little bit sometimes, or you follow people where you're like, this feels like a pageant show a little bit, right? So that's going to be the series for a couple of weeks. Welcome to the pageant show. And there's a verse that I want to use to kind of kick this thing off because I want to focus on one specific way in which we uh, we um, go after like impression management, okay? And, and one of the ways in which we uh, work this. And so um, there's a verse in Ephesians chapter four uh, that, that is going to come to mind. Paul it writes a letter to a church in Ephesus. We know it as the book of Ephesians. It shows up in the letter section. We said last week in our series that when it comes to letters, it was all about implementation of the gospel in specific settings. So what does the gospel look like uh, implemented in Ephesus? And the beauty of Ephesians is that it's six chapters in that book, 
Um, and the first three chapters, it's almost like exactly split in half. The first three chapters, Ephesians 1 through 3, are almost entirely about identity in Christ or who you are. It, uh, based on what Jesus has done for you, this is who you are. Your identity is not found in Christ, and this is what it means. Um, and then the second half of it, 4 through 6, is all about implementation. If this is who you are, then this is what you should do. If, if your identity is now found here, this is what it looks like to live in the way of Jesus, which is important. This is kind of what we have said in this community community, we're trying to implement this as well. We say we are a gathering community, we're an interpreted community for an hour each week. We, we set aside, we, we say no to soccer games, we say no to this, we say no to our boat for an hour. We come together, we look at scripture, we try and interpret what the way of Jesus might look like for us in 2023 and beyond, uh, and, and we go from there. Um, and so, so they're, they're doing this, and Paul is doing this with his church in Ephesus. And, and so what we find, the verse that we're going to look at today, comes in that second section, that section on if the way of Jesus um, is something that you're interested in following, then your life would look different in this way. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, we get early on things like, uh, let, you know, let no falsehood and lies be a, a, a part of your speech or, or part of your life. Um, in your anger, do not sin. Um, don't steal. Listen, if, if, if the way of Jesus is important to you, then, then you, can't, you can't live a life that is uh, based on stealing from people and un unjustly taking things that aren't appropriately yours. Um, it doesn't work like that way. You, you've, maybe you've misunderstood your identity because the implications are different. So, um, and then he gets to this part in chapter four, verse uh, 29, and where it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So what this is trying to communicate, I think, to us is that our identity in Christ has implications in regards to our speech and the things that we say. The way of Jesus has something to say about what we say and how we say it. So it's not just how, you know, behavioral modification. It's not just, I got to change this. I got to stop doing this. I got to start doing this. It also has to do with the words that I say and the way that I say them and how I interact with people and how I'm trying to leverage this. And we oftentimes compartmentalize this verse, this idea of Paul saying, um, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths into like certain like boxes, compartmentalize it into um, don't have foul language. Don't say, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Um, don't say four letter words when you hit yourself with a hammer. Don't, um, don't do whatever. And we, we, we try and uh, we, we say, all right, that makes sense in that category. And I think that that's probably true. I think that that would be a part of the, part of the thing. It, is, it has been um, interesting how that has transpired and how that, you know, in the upcoming generation, uh, this idea, we, we're so, uh, so aware now of um, how people talk that it's been like, ooh, our, our social stuff has pulled back. I talked to somebody last week out in the lobby um, who I know is into video games, and I asked them if they'd got the new Zelda game because it had just come out and I knew that they were into that. And they're like, no, nah, we've been playing this other game with my son, this Rocket League game. And, and, uh, and she goes, man, I've been, we've been playing online though. And it's amazing what kids are willing to say through headsets over the internet to people they don't even know that they're playing against and whether they win or lose, it's like, they're making up these words that I'm like, I don't even know what that means. You know what I mean? Like my, my wife too, it just started, um, 
uh, doing some subbing stuff uh, for the school, Pasco School District. And her first one was uh, in East Pasco at an elementary school, and she loved it. She's like, the kids were fantastic. It was great. It was whatever. Then she did it in middle school, and she was like, a little bit more difficult, a little bit more of a head on a swivel sort of stuff, right? And then she did a high school. And at high school level, she's like, they were, they were saying some things to me that I had to like Google. Like, are you complimenting me or mocking me at this point? I'm not sure. And I'm like, that's why we have a 15-year-old. You get to ask her what all these words mean. It's our secret weapon for all this kind of stuff. And she was just like blown away at some of the, just like, kids are so mean to each other. Like, it's such a harsh, it's not even just bad words. It's just mean, biting things. You're like, I thought you were friends and oh yeah, we like each other. But you just, what you just said to them, that's incredibly hurtful, right? And they're like, who are you, Mrs. Johnson? Anyways, uh, so that, that, is, uh, that is a part of this idea that we, we go, okay, that makes sense in that scenario. Um, don't let any unwholesome talk come out. And, and, and we just put that box in it and we just say, I'll try and do better at that. In fact, we've, we've, we pride ourselves on how maybe perhaps good we are at, at um, at keeping that contained, that we only let that slip out once in a while, that we, we try and say nice things as much as we can. And the only time that we really reserve that language is for unique circumstances, because we would say, this kind of foul language is completely unacceptable, right? We, hear, we see things and, and hear things or whatever. That's completely unacceptable. Except, unless it's couched in moral outrage, addressing someone with unacceptable morality positions or extremist politics of the opposite persuasion is mine, Right? Then it's like an adult playground. We just say things that we are hurtful. And, and you know, I, I think the advent of social media has made this even just more of a thing where we're just like, we, we look at this and you look at people and you'd say, you would never say that in real life, but you'd never say this face-to-face to this person, but behind the keys of a keyboard, you're willing to say things that is definitely unwholesome talk, not building up, not edifying, not operating under forgiveness for grace. Like we, we, we recognize that and we go, okay, there's some implications uh, for Paul's talk that I need to work on in my life, which is really, really good. The thing about this for this series is I wonder if there's more meat left on that bone. To say that that would be the only thing of it, that'd be, that's probably enough work to get us started and keep us busy. But I want to take a different angle on it that, that I think also feeds into this, that is a little bit more subtle, a little bit more unseen, a little bit more less felt. Uh, and, and yet I think... Um, equally, equally uh, fatal or deadly or uh, ugly to kind of look at in this way. And when it comes to this kind of public discourse and, and we, we allow ourselves the freedom to do this, we say that we are okay with it in this scenario because um, we care deeply about something and, uh, and or the stakes are high. And so we give ourselves a pass, a free pass to say the things that we feel like we need to say because again, we care deeply about something and the stakes are high. Or perhaps we just want the appearance of caring deeply about something or we manifest and then make it seem like the stakes are high and therefore extreme measures require extreme uh, things to be said, right? Here's what's true about all of us, most of us, and I, I may know you, I may not know you, but you know, uh, let, me, let me just kind of speak this out and we'll see how it goes with this. Chances are that you think that you're better at some things in life better than the average person that you're better than most people at a specific list of things, right? If I were to ask you and to write down, okay, on your little connect card or on your note sheet or whatever, draw a spectrum of bad to good and then average in the middle. And I said, rate yourself as a driver in the community, as just a real driver in the community, like somebody who drives a vehicle. Where would you rate yourself? The odds are you would rate yourself as an above average driver. We all do. We all think we're above average 
and we drive with a bunch of idiots. That's where we all live, right? When it comes to, are you a uh, personal responsibility? Do you, are you a, a, a responsible person? We tend to rate ourselves pretty high on the responsibility factor, more responsible than the average person. Parenting. Are you an average parent or are you above average parent? Most parents go, I'm an above average. You could ask my kid if you want, but I, I'm pretty sure they would say the same thing, above average when it comes to parenting. We have a magnified version of ourselves in these areas. Or uh, what, this is what behavioral psychologists call self-enhancement. We operate with a level of self-enhancement. When we look at ourselves, we give ourselves better grades than the average person. We think that we work harder, we're less prejudiced in life, we're more upset by the things that we're supposed to be upset about, we care more about the environment than the average person. And our self-enhancement is even stronger when it comes to morality, that we tend to rate our conduct as morally superior to the average person. So we know that we live with this self-enhancement piece, and then when it comes to morality, we, when it comes to like, are you a good person, right? Are you a bad person or a good person? And this is an average person. Nobody puts themselves to the left of good. Almost, almost nobody. We're always, I'm a little bit, I'm better than average. Like, I'm not the best person. Like, you know the best person, right? I'm not that. Um, I'm not uh, Mother Teresa or whatever, but I'm definitely not whatever it is over here. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty decent person in, in general. We're more like, I feel like I'm more likely to be honest or trustworthy than the average person. We call this, or they call this, moral self-enhancement. So self-enhancement has a subcategory, and that subcategory is moral self-enhancement. When it comes to thinking about whether you're a good person or not, we tend to give ourselves pretty darn good grades. When it comes to like specific examples of this, I've been researching uh, some of this stuff on, on behavioral dynamics, and they, they did this, they would bring people into a, do a test, and they would say, okay, rate yourself, and then rate other people. Rate your, your friends and your community and the people and the average person. What, how would you respond? And then how do you think the average person would respond? And when asked, would you ever cheat on somebody else's test in school? Would you ever look over and cheat on their exam? 80% of people said, no, 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 I would never do that. That's, that's, beyond, you know, that's beyond the scope of my morality. I'm a good person. I wouldn't do that. All right. Do you think that the, what do you think your friends would do? Or what do you think the average person would do? And in our rating system or their rating systems, they think that 55% of people would look at somebody else's test and cheat on a test. Meaning, do the math, I'm about 25% better than the average person when it comes to this. Next one. Um, you ever been to the, uh, a store and at checkout, they say, would you like to round up to the nearest dollar to donate money to cancer research? And you look at it and it's like, you know, twelve ninety eight, And you're like, yeah, let's do it. I'm a generous person, right? So two cents goes to them. What about when it's 12.02, right? When it's, when it's 98 cents, then you're a little bit more cautious about this, right? So then this, this question came, a hundred percent of us would say, would you donate if it was, you know, rounding up to two cents into the, well, of course I would, of cancer research, a great cause, right? When it comes to 98 cents, would you, you know, up, up, uh, up, upscale that to 98 cents? 87% said, yeah, of course I would. And when the question became, what about your friends? What about the average person? Would the average person round up? 50% or 56% of people, I think, would do that. So again, we're rating ourselves in that scenario as 31% better than the average person. We have a high level of moral uh, self-enhancement. Like we live with this sort of thing. Even violent criminals, they did the study within the prison system, think their behavior compares favorably to that of the rest of us. Prisoners rated themselves as above average for every pro-social trait 
except for law-abidingness, on which they modestly rated themselves as average (laughs) as their serving time for hilarious, right? Like, what is that about us? Why do we do this? Behavioral psychologists could say that we live with the illusion of moral superiority. Why is it an illusion? Because there's no way that all of us can be above average. The mathematics don't work out. Like it, you just can't do that. You can't be above average in all of these things. To, at some level, you are just average. Or the reality is on some levels, you're below average. You're drawing the, 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 the curve down for us in this way. Decades of research on moral character suggest and show us that we are not as virtuous as we think we are, leading me to stand up here on a position on a Sunday and give you the super encouraging statement that you are probably just morally average, right? You're like, you're my pastor. You're supposed to be like way more encouraging than that. Like for those of you like, I, I attend East, like I've been sitting under your tutelage for 12 years or whatever, you know what I mean? reality is you're probably just morally average. And on that, let's close our Bibles and go home. You know what I mean? That's depressing. I want to be, I said that in first service too. And it was like audible groans from people. Like, I don't like that. Like, ugh, should have skipped this Sunday. This should have been a boat Sunday. That's what this should have been. Um, Our moral self-conceptions are very important to us which is why we're offended when somebody like this or research shows us that we're probably just morally average. We are hurt by that. Why are we hurt by that? Because our moral self-conceptions are very, very important to us. We want to be seen as a good person. We value that. We want to be seen as somebody who, if asked about us, they would say, you know, that, well, I think that they're a pretty good person. I think they're above average. I think they would round up. I think that they would not cheat on a test. I think that they would uh, not steal from their company or you know, not cut hours or not do this or whatever. We care deeply about our moral reputations and we go to great lengths to curate and to protect them. And we're awfully creative when it comes to this too, aren't we? We get very, very creative on how we handle this because there's right right and wrong ways to even handle because we care so much about this. We wanna do something about it, but we have to make sure that we're not coming across as heavy handed or too obvious in our ways of communicating to you that I am morally superior to the average person. I don't want to say that I'm morally superior to you. I'm just saying that when you think of me as somebody, you would, you would think above average in these categories, right? So we ask ourselves the question, how do we communicate our moral superiority without seeming like we're communicating our moral superiority? Or how can I imply something about myself without just coming out and saying it? Because I don't want to do that. That feels too obvious. And so we, we think to ourselves, what kind of pageantry is required to pull off such a feat, that perhaps life is a bit of a stage and I'm presenting a version of me that I hope that you like and that you think is good and worth voting for and all of the things. And the primary means of which we do this in our creative endeavors to try and not come across as heavy-handed but to try and do it subtly is through the use of what's called moral talk. And moral talk is inherently a good thing. It helps us make sense of life and helps us put to practical uses, uh, you know, our, our way of, uh, of making the world a better place, raising kids who are a uh, positive uh, impact on society, a workplace that, that fosters uh, creativity and, and, and engagement and productivity and, and all, of, all of the inequality and all, all of the things that we like. In fact, all of those words that I just used all have to do with moral talk. Moral talk is simply discussion about what is morally good and what morally ought to be done. 
So when we get in conversations, whether it's online or in person with people, and we begin to talk about things like rights and dignity and justice and respect, that is all moral talk. Moral talk also includes uh, talk about whether someone did something morally right or wrong. When we say she did the right thing or he did the wrong thing or he certainly harassed all those women, whatever, and they're certainly right to be able to do that, that's all moral talk. We are casting our vote, our, our opinion on how the world should operate and should not operate. Moral talk includes uh, talk about how morally good uh, or bad somebody is. Oh, he was incredibly brave or she's completely dishonest. Like, watch out for that. As we categorize people and put them somewhere on a spectrum, that's all moral talk. Moral talk is also talk about what should happen to people who do good or bad. She deserves all of our admiration. Or I greatly admire him for the sacrifices he made for his family. Finally, moral talk is also talk that recommends for or against social politics. When we say things like we have a duty and a responsibility for future generations to reduce carbon emissions, it's moral talk. Or when we say justice demands that we practice capital punishment or the opposite in, in, ever, in, in, in that way, that's also moral talk. And moral talk is extremely valuable. We, we, we need this. We need to talk through these things. We need to formulate our own positions on these. We need to put things out there, get critique, refine what we think about it, what we genuinely think about it, and, and then begin to shape this is what I ought to do. This is what I ought to do. This is what I ought to do. This is the way the world ought to operate. And this is the way that I think that things should go. It's our primary means of bringing morality to bear on practical problems. It's how we make our world, our neighborhood, our schools, and our homes better places. Unfortunately, we've also figured out how to use moral talk irresponsibly. That we use moral language to humiliate, intimidate, and threaten people that we dislike or who hold positions that we dislike. We impress, we use moral talk to impress our friends. We use moral talk to feel better about ourselves or to make people less suspicious of our own misconduct. And in this way, we are doing what's called abusive moral talk or abusing moral talk. We're taking something that's good and making it bad or shortchanging it or using it for different purposes than it was intended to be used for. The abuse of moral talk. And my... My comments on this, and the reason I think that all of this is important is, I think that if we were to ask Paul, would you include this in your categorization of do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths? I think that he would say, yeah, absolutely. I don't think he had this in mind, but I think he's painting a broad category. And so for us in the world that we live in, in the situation that we find ourselves in, of course, we could spend some time talking about course language and, and whatever and all that kind of stuff. We can get there or whatever. We, you probably expect that from me. But something that's far more sinister and dark and a little bit insidious is this idea of abusive moral talk, talk that is used to enhance my own version of myself uh, in a way that is appearance-based or degrading for others, or I tear people down to feel better about myself, but I use moral terms so it doesn't feel so bad. That's the thing about the abusive moral talk. We do not have free reign to treat others badly simply because we're invoking sacred words or because we're showing in our own way that we care. So for the next couple of weeks, I want to, sh I want to talk about how not all moral talk is laudable or good or whatever, and the world would be better if some of it went away. So let me summarize this opening piece for you as we kind of put some pieces together. And by the way, this is an opening uh, talk for a series, if, you, if you're new to East Lake, I don't do a lot of standalone stuff. I try and um, do like four, five, six, seven weeks or something like that in terms of formulating an argument. And so a lot of times our first week of a series is 
I'm just trying to sell you on an idea to make it like, this is interesting. This is kind of what I should process through. If you leave with more questions than answers, especially in week one, that's intentional. So um, let me summarize this, this first piece for you just to make sure that we're all on the same page and, and buying into this. <clears throat> the purpose of moral talk is to help us to become better people, to treat others with the respect that they deserve and to make our world a better place. That's why moral talk is important and you should engage in it. But not every instance of moral talk helps us to do these things. There are ways in which it doesn't. It's possible to abuse moral talk, and when we do, we can end up undermining our efforts at moral improvement. And my guess would be that Paul would say, yeah, that's kind of included in this idea of that's unwholesome talk. The problem that's so hard to see is because it's couched in such sacred words or morally acceptable words that we don't often see it as such. But abusive talk can do some really undermining efforts of what we really want to accomplish. And so if, the world's, if all the world's a stage and life to some degree is lived as like a pageant show that we're living and projecting, it's because I wasn't talking to you, Siri, that's why. Um, if we, uh, we, if, if we are presenting something uh, uh, of ourselves to people, hoping that they see us a certain way, uh, and we use moral talk a lot of times to kind of communicate those, those sort of things, then um, we, we like welcome to the pageant show a little bit about how we live our life, right? And then the subtitle of the series is, it's a series on grandstanding. Not sure if you're familiar with the term. It's used a lot in politics uh, for people who like get on a soapbox and kind of do their own thing and they're trying to do something. Um, and so here's, here's the definition, the working definition for the, you know, the course of the series on what, what it means to grandstand or what grandstanding is. It's the use of moral talk for self-promotion. What, Moral talk used to kind of build up our morality and build up our, our sense of identity and what we should ought, ought to be about and ought not to be about is important. But grandstanding is when we leverage moral talk for self-promotion. I want to promote a version of me, so I'll use these words to be able to do this. And I think Paul would say that's kind of unwholesome talk coming out of your mouth. Let me put it in like a, a more practical example for us that we saw come out a few years ago that the distance I think is enough to be able to kind of highlight and on both sides of the political aisle be like, yeah, that feels like grandstanding to me. In uh, the fall of 2017, dozens of women accused Harvey Weinstein of numerous acts of sexual harassment and assault. You remember this a few years ago. On October 5th of that year, Weinstein, uh, Weinstein uh, issued his first public statement addressing negotiations and the uh, allegations. He opened by noting that I came of age in the 60s and the 70s when rules about behavior in the workplaces were different, like that common thing of this isn't how the, oh, I grew up in this era that was not like this, and now you guys are all sensitive about things, right? So we know, we know how that works. He then expressed his remorse for his years of misbehavior and committed to do better, right? That classic line, I have to do better and I will do better, right? We, we see that from companies all the time in all of their issuing statements. We have to do better. We deeply apologize for what was said on air. CBS would like to say. We deeply apologize. We have to do better. We will do better. Now back to the game, right? All right, anyways. But for our purposes, the interesting part of his statement about kind of where he stood shows up at the very end of what he, what he said. And I'm going to read it for you. It's going to be on the screen. This is from his public statement that he published himself. I'm going to need a place to channel my anger. So I've decided that I'm going to give the NRA my full attention. I hope Wayne LaPierre, who was the CEO of the NRA at the time, will enjoy his retirement party. I'm making a movie about our president. At that time, it was Trump. Perhaps we can make it a joint retirement party. 
One year ago, I began organizing a $5 million foundation to give scholarships to women directors at uh, USC. And while this might seem coincidental, it has been in the works for a year. It'll be named after my mom, and I will not or I won't disappoint her. What's he doing here in this scenario? Guys, guys, I know I've made some mistakes. Like, who hasn't? But I'm a good person. Like, don't look over here. Look over here. Look at, look at what I'm doing over here. And both sides of this thing, look at this. And they watch this person try and weasel his way out of all of these different terrible things about him to be like, but, I'm, but I want, I'm so concerned that you see me as a good person that I want you to know I started this foundation. I'm supporting women and minorities and I'm, I'm doing this and I'm, I'm, I'm against all the things that you're against. And I'm for all the things that you're for. Guys, 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 right? And he's a safe one to talk about because like, I don't know anybody that's like pro Weinstein. <laughs> like, if you are like, I'd love to meet you and hear your story and what the perspective is on that. But like for the most part, everybody goes, yeah, that's like kind of ridiculous, right? And so, and we see this like, it's like, it's, it's gross. It's like, yeah, 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 I'm bad. But like, these are so bad, right? And I'm against these things with you. And you're like, yeah, but what does that have to do with, what does that have to do with this? I mean, it's, listen, grandstanding, the use of moral talk, all of these things, in his opinion, I'm against the things that you're against, I'm for the things that you're for, was trying to leverage moral talk for self-promotion. And that's what grandstanding essentially is. Why do we do it? Because our moral self-perceptions and self-conceptions are very important to us. We care deeply about our moral reputations and go to great lengths to curate and to protect them. I do it, you do it. I don't care if you're a high school student. You do it as well. You're figuring that out. Your life has lived more online now than, than any previous generation, right? So I mean, this temptation, this accessibility to kind of promote this version of me out there is a huge deal. So a question to consider as we kind of close our time this morning together, when it comes to your life and your evaluations and the way that you leverage and use moral talk this week, a great question to ask at the end of the week or at some point at the end of the day after you've gone through that and are recapping your day as you lay your head on your pillow or whatever would be something along the lines of this. Am I doing good with my use of moral talk or am I simply more concerned with looking good? Am I using my moral talk to begin to shape myself and my identity? And am I using my moral talk to shape my workplace or the things that I have agency over, whether it's my kids or my business or my job or whatever? Am I doing good with my use of moral talk? Or if truth were told, I'm just a little bit more concerned with looking good. Do I put things out there in terms of moral talk and then when it doesn't get as many likes, I'm like disappointed. I'm like, guys, you guys should like this. I'm like, do all the things, I'm for the things that you're for and I'm against the things that you're against. Like, come on, let's get some engagement here. And so then all of a sudden I'm disappointed with how that went and I try again later. I try something different. I change the wording up. I do this. I, I go harder in another direction or whatever. Am I actually using moral talk, which is a good thing in a good way, it has a... a has a, a real reason for existence to shape myself, to do good, to be a better, a genuinely better person? Or is my obsession more of just simply looking good? That's a tough question to ask. Good question to kick it off. A good question, whether you're religious or not, whether Paul's motivation is motivation for you, because you know, if you're not really a Christian, you're like, what does a guy writing a letter to a church in Ephesus have to do with me? You're right, it doesn't. 
Now, if you're a Christian, and we would say that Paul is writing about an implication of the gospel in this scenario, it does this, it could begin to apply to us. Perhaps we would agree that the way of Jesus has something to do with our speech patterns. But this is the, what's fun about this is this is like an all skate, man. We get to all participate in this sort of thing. Now, if you're under 30 and don't know what an all skate is, that's when a skating rink would say, <laughs> everybody on the floor, we're all going in this. Anyways, uh, uh, whatever. I put together a few questions for you to kind of continue the conversation. Whether you do this with you know, yourself you know, or, or hopefully in community with somebody else, like a, a, either a small group or you're going out to lunch afterwards with somebody, hey, let's work through some of these questions or copy this week or something like that. <clears throat> I started this doing this uh, like a, in the last series, a couple series ago, and I, I think it's been helpful, at least for me, to kind of continue this conversation. You can write these things down or uh, better yet, uh, on our app, they're gonna be on the notes section. You can download them and have them because you're not gonna be able to write fast enough, most likely. All right. Good question for you. Did I say anything this week to imply or impress others with my moral superiority? Not over them, because that's just ego and way too obvious. I'm just saying above and beyond the average person. Did I, did, was there anything that I said to just try and make sure that you know, but I don't want, you, I don't want to beat you over the head with a hammer on it, but I, I, want you, I want you to know I'm moral superior than the average person. Did I say anything this week to imply or impress others with my moral superiority? And then question number two, to whom or to which group of people am I most tempted to grandstand? In other words, there's gonna be some sort of a community of people, some sort of people I'm around. I really wanna make sure that they know uh, where I stand. I'm concerned about their opinion of me more than perhaps the average person. Who is that? Why is that? And what, what group is that? What, what does that imply? And, and how should I be more sensitive in that area? And then finally, third question, do I consider this to fall under the category of unwholesome talk as outlined by Paul in Ephesians 4? Do I agree with Brent that this falls into this? Or no, maybe not. If not, then what would be entailed in that categorization? Because you've got some work to do on that in that way too. So this is, that, this is my opinion on one arm or one branch of what Paul would include that doesn't get a lot of attention, which is why I think it's so important to talk about, which is why we're gonna talk about it for a couple more weeks. And I think you would do well. I think um, your family would uh, recognize this in you, that your friends and family would recognize something, a shift and a change when you begin to evaluate this and not go down that road. Because I think the closer people are to, to you, the easier it is to spot this in you. And then it becomes disingenuous and it becomes hypocritical. And they look at you and they go, I mean, there's like some hypocrisy there. And, and and then you lose moral authority with them and, and beyond. It's just, it's just bad. So <clears throat> you got some work to do. We got some work to do. Me too. So let's do it together. So we're going to continue this conversation for a couple more weeks. And we'd love to have you back for part two next week of Welcome to the Pageant. So, but let's pray real quick. Father, our prayer <clears throat> is that you would help us this week to see this, to notice this, to uh, not be oblivious to this, to not have this be a blind spot in our life. We, we, we know we operate with blind spots. We don't know what they are because that's what they are, they're blind spots. But would perhaps focused attention this week on how I'm leveraging moral talk and if I'm doing it to imply or impress people or to convince people of something about it, to show them or, or, or do this impression management about how I'm morally superior than the average person. Um, that I would, uh, A, knock it off, but B, then ask myself a, a more penetrating question, which is why? Why am I doing this? Why do I care? Would I instead begin to say, I need to use moral talk to begin to shape my life, to make me a better person, not to imply that I am one, 
let me use it to actually get work done, to do good, rather than just simply to look good. Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life, the courage to do something about it. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.